Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Welcome to this very special bonus episode of Real Life Ghost Stories where I am joined by the wonderful Brandon from Southern Gothic Podcast. Explore the American South's most infamous hauntings, legends and folklore. Step into the world of the unknown and unravel the dark history and infamous legends of the American South. Join us as we journey into the heart of this rich and fascinating region, uncovering its ghostly stories, haunted places and eeriest tales through captivating storytelling in-depth historical research and an immersive audio soundscape. From the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the haunted Waverly Hills Sanatorium, the ghostly tales of the Myrtles Plantation, the curse of Lake Lanier and beyond. Get ready for an unforgettable experience that brings history to life and uncovers the truth behind classic tales of the paranormal. As always with these bonus episodes, I will leave the link to where you can find Southern Gothic in the description of this episode. Thank you so much to Brandon for coming and chatting with me. We had a lovely time and I can't wait to do some more work with him and I hope you enjoy it. Brandon from Southern Gothic, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for having me. I am really excited to be here and finally get to meet you. I know. It feels like we've been in communication for ages and I've actually, to apologise publicly, I've been very useless at communicating with you because I've been working on two shows in tandem. Oh, it's just ridiculous. But I'm so glad to finally be able to sit down and talk ghost stories with you. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it it has been a perfect amount of time. And at the same time, I'll apologize to anyone else's emails I'm ignoring, even if it wasn't yours. (laughs) Love ignoring emails, you know, just living on the edge all the time. I'll get back to you in a week, I promise. Yeah. (laughs) So before we begin, before we start the ghost stories, who are you? Why are you here? Oh, that's very deep. We're going to we'll start existential. I, I'm Brandon Schecksnyder. I, I, I have a podcast called Southern Gothic. Uh, it is a show where we explore a lot of ghost stories, dark histories, old legends and folklore of the American South. Uh, so I kind of stick to that part of the United States that, uh, you know, has a little bit, a little extra trauma wrapped around it, a little, a little, a little more stereotypes in my, in my neck of the woods down there. Uh, so I tell a lot of ghost stories from around there, but, uh, Originally, I am New Orleans born and raised, so I, I kind of grew up in this kind of vibe in this 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 world of storytelling and uh, had a career in music. And here I am today, you know, in, in front of a microphone in a different way, telling stories. So how did Southern Gothic start and why did it start? Yeah, well, I'm an audio engineer by trade. So I was working in recording studios. I was making records for other people. So I, I knew, you know, when podcasting came around, I was like, man, this is so cool. It's, it's right up my alley. It's something I enjoy making things sound, you know, sound good, sound, you know, how I want to. And, 
And I saw those really cool opportunities for, you know, how you could tell a story different with audio, like in between. But um, eventually I just, I had to do it. I got tired of making other people's records and uh, had to make my own stuff and really enjoyed, uh, again, I've enjoyed ghost stories and this kind of thing my entire life. So I knew exactly what the topic was going to be when I started a podcast. Like I knew it was going to be a kind of history centric, uh, you know, legends, folklore, that sort of thing. And, um, you know, again, being, you know, being from down there, it kind of just, it, it felt right, you know, and that's, that's how Southern Gothic came about. Yeah. So the most important question of today's conversation. Oh yeah. What is your favorite scary movie? All right. I think it's the exorcist still. Yeah. That's a good one. I mean, you can't yeah. go wrong with the exorcist. Yeah. I think, uh, I, the most scared I've ever been was Texas Chainsaw. He's watching that a little too young, but at the end of the day, Exorcist is still, it's still like the repeatable one for me. It's still the one I can watch over and over again. Hands and down. I don't, I don't think since the Exorcist, there has been an exorcism movie that has come close to making people feel the way the Exorcist did. Like I was terrified yeah. of the Exorcist and as an adult, even when I watch it still, it still freaks me out. And I think it's just sort of set the benchmark for Exorcist movies to come. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I mean, growing up in New Orleans, it, I mean, heavily Catholic town. So, you know, I went to, I went to all boy Catholic high school. I mean, it was, you know, we didn't have girls at school or anything. It was that, that heavily Catholic. So that element in the exorcist too, you know, like, like, Going through Catholics, so there's always the rumor that that one priest there, he was actually the, the you know, the the parish, or the, excuse me, the uh, the archdiocese exorcist. Did y'all know about it? But he won't admit it, you know. Like we always had, so it, it really had this kind of extra thing. Where as a kid, it just scared the living bejesus out of me. But but I can still watch it, which is uh, I still enjoy it, you know. Yeah, and I uh, I also went to a Catholic convent school, an all girls mm -hmm. school. Yeah, and I went to a Catholic primary school growing up in Ireland. And uh, I dated a man who went on to the priesthood, uh, mm -hmm. which is, you know, it's not really a good kind of recommendation for me going forward as a potential partner. Do you know what I mean? What what happened but, to your ex? He you joined the priesthood. Every Catholic <laughs> schoolgirl probably dated someone that did, though. I mean, it's just like every every Catholic schoolboy thought about becoming a priest at some point. Right. But I mean, they um, know it is. But when he was training to be a priest, I uh, had a conversation. Whoa, whoa, whoa. With him. Were you dating him while he was no. training? Him? Oh, no. <laughs> I thought we no, were going. No. Yeah. Oh, all right. Okay. Okay. Carry on. <laughs> that's different territory altogether. But when he was training to become a priest, um, I had a conversation with him about, you know, this kind of, the kind of paranormal stuff that you learn in the priesthood. And actually, even in the priesthood, they were all just telling each other scary stories and they were still being like, that guy. He's an exorcist and you know, this happened and, you know, don't do yoga because you don't know what those mantras mean. And I was like, oh, wow. OK, so we never actually grow up. Great. Good. To know. Yeah. Yeah. It's my uh, I, I currently live in Tennessee, so I live in a different part of the, the I'm still in the South, obviously. But um, the uh, my girlfriend right now, she did not grow up knowing Catholicism, I guess her part of her family was Catholic, but didn't really. And so around here, they look at Catholicism like we're. Like that was, that's not Christian even right around here. And, um, but, uh, her, she, she still to this day will say, well, yeah, you grew up with that spooky religion. You grew up, you, you, <laughs> it's, funny. it's so amusing, you know, but <laughs> I think I'm going to refer to it as the spooky religion from now on. Cause that, that carries 
a lot more yeah. coolness than, it? Yeah. than just saying Catholicism, I think. Than those damn uniforms I had. That's what I think. I think of uniforms in school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was an altar server too, so I had to wear like cool robes and stuff when I was serving mass, which I, was a vibe, I have to say. They, I did yeah. look quite cool. Um, so growing up in New Orleans, you must have heard ghost stories all the time. Do you have like a, a favorite New Orleans ghost story? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, there's so many of them. So it's almost like like what what time of the day and, and what part of town do you you know, do you ask you know, the city? It's I was just somebody asked me yesterday if it was true when you drive through uh, the French Quarter and you drive through downtown New Orleans, do they really have signs on that say, is it haunted or not haunted on the real estate side? And they really do. People will put up like properties for sale and put on the sign like not haunted or, you know, or haunted. You know, I'm sure that's a, a marketing gimmick, but, uh, you know, actually my favorite story from that area is actually from like right outside of town, out in the swamp, out on the edge of town. You know, the one that like we've become obsessed with. And it's, it's a story about this woman named Julia Brown. And, uh, she grew up in the new Orleans area. You know, the story you're familiar with it. Yeah. Yeah. So this is hands down my favorite. It's one that we have become my sister. She, she helps research the podcast for me. She's kind of my partner. And some of this, she is a um, she's a researcher by trade and works at the Louisiana State Museum. So she's able to give it a little bit of a little bit of dignity to my stories, if you will, with her research. But uh, we become obsessed with Julia. And, um, you know, basically, Julia, what she was, is she she was born enslaved, supposedly in the New Orleans area, but moved out to the edge of town. Her uh, her husband, Celestin, when she had gotten married, he had joined the U.S. Army during the Civil War. And and as a as payment for that service was given a land grant for about 40 acres uh, out down the river, up the river and what was called the German coast. And and they resided in this community called Frenier. And Frenier was a swamp community. And it was all it was all these German immigrants out there. So, you know, I always joke with people. It was originally called Schlosser. And, you know, my last name, Sheck Snyder. So imagine people that look like me out there, all these blonde hair, blue eyed, you know, people out in the swamp. And here's Julia Brown and her husband. You know, she's she's a black woman who who we believe practiced voodoo or some type of root work. And she's out there in this community in the swamp that's only accessible by train or boat. Okay, so a very isolated community of all these people. And because it was so isolated, she kind of ended up being like the midwife for the community from time to time. And she became the the, the kind of the healer for some of these people, because if you got hurt or you got sick or, you know, something like that, you know, you might have to wait a week to get out of get down to New Orleans on a train. Right. And, you know, you might have to do that. So you'd go to Aunt Julia, you know, how they refer to her, right? You go to Julia and she would kind of help fix you up, send you home. Well, now, mind you, this is actually the early 20th century. So when I talk about it, it sounds really old, but this was early 20, early 1900s. And this was that, that isolated of a community. So anyway, eventually, you know, as the story goes, eventually, you know, Julia in the town, something started to sour with them. She was a little older at this point. She's up in her 70s, almost 80 or so. And something started to sour. She felt like maybe the town was taking advantage of all her good nature. You know, maybe something was stirred up or something, right? And she didn't really feel all that good about him. So folks said that they would see her sitting out on her little cabin, on, on the front porch of her cabin, out on the edge of the swamp out there. And they'd see her every now and then just rocking on her rocking chair. And she'd be singing this song, When I Die, 
I'll take the whole town with me. When I die, I'll take the whole town with me. You can imagine. I mean, they were freaked, right? They have no idea. This is, again, this is a German like kind of immigrant community who, uh, a very Catholic community, right? And you have, here's this person who supposedly practices voodoo out here who might be a voodoo priestess claiming when I die, I'm going to take the whole town with me, right? Well, whether you like it or not, Julia passes away at some point, right? She couldn't live forever. They couldn't keep her alive just because they were afraid of this curse or this, this premonition or whatever, right? So she passes away in September of 1915. And uh, we she's very up there in age. My, we, we're not sure why she passed away, but it, it could have just been old age at that point. Um, Celestine had passed away probably a little over a decade before her. Well, on the day of her funeral, they, of course, you know, that everybody packs into this house for her funeral. Uh, every, the entire community's there. I mean, it was such a big funeral that it was actually covered in the local newspaper that all these people were coming. And you can imagine, of course, they were coming. I mean, whether whether they were good natured because this is the woman who delivered their children or delivered them, you know, as a midwife or they were just freaking scared. Right. And they just wanted to appease Julia's soul or not. But what they didn't realize at the same time when they were backing into that little house was that there was a massive hurricane headed straight for southeast Louisiana. And it just so happened that right at four o'clock as this funeral was going, this hurricane was making its way over New Orleans and going straight toward this small swamp town of Frenier out there. And it hit and it hit right when they were in the funeral service. They said the walls were shaking. Uh, all the wind was coming. The rain is crashing down on the roof and everybody is scattering out of her funeral and they're all rushing to safety. They don't know what to do. But of course, as they're leaving the house, even what most people don't understand is that hurricanes, they don't just have rain coming from the sky and, and wind coming from the sides. It's also sucking all the water up around it, too. So you have this storm surge coming up from the lake and the swamp waters are just getting higher. Say so it went up to 12 feet higher than normal that day. So the water's rising, water's coming from the sky. They're going everywhere for safety. Uh, about 25 of them, they make it out to the train and they get on the train and the, and the train engineer tries to get down the road. They get stuck in the train, but they say even that there are people just trying to get away from the water, that they're climbing the trees just to try and save themselves. But in the course of that day, this hurricane, it was one of the most devastating hurricanes prior to named storms like we have now. And it killed over 200 people in southeastern Louisiana. That estimates were about 200 to 400 people. This hurricane that happened only two days after Julia Brown died, right? So to this day, we talk about it. Did she curse the town? Was she was she trying to warn the town? Frenier's no longer there. It was absolutely destroyed that day. And so if you do go out there, it's probably about 20 minutes outside of the city. You just, you head towards Baton Rouge. And this little part in the Manshack Swamp. You can head out there and you can visit and all. And folks who've gone out there at night claim they can still hear people screaming from the trees from having to watch the horrors below with their friends drown and all. So that's my favorite story from down there, hands down. There's a part of me that wants to be a woman that lives in the swamp that curses the townspeople. <laughs> and that when I, when I die, everyone comes to my funeral out of fear. That, you know, out of fear, it, yeah. <laughs> it's a bit of, it, it, 
you know, she sounds great, to be honest. Doesn't she? I know. This is why we're so obsessed with her, man. We we and she's a real life woman, too. This is not yeah. this is not a make-believe figure. I mean, we have census records with her names on it. We uh, you know, I, I mentioned the part of you know, her husband, they got this land from uh, we have records from the United States government saying he served in the army during the Civil War. So, I mean, this is a real human being. Now, now the debate has kind of come about of like, was, was she really, was she really a voodoo priestess who cursed the town or was she like, Hey, y'all, you know, you're what that town actually was doing was it was a lot of loggers. They were chopping down a lot of the cypress out there, mm. you know? So like, it might've been, maybe this was a warning, you know, like you're destroying the swamp y'all, you know? And I think it, it really, it's really frustrating when I look at these stories the um just the just the sheer amount of times that you have these women who are um well versed in herbal medicine um or whatever sort of sort of religious adjacent thing that they practice and in the beginning it's like th those women are your midwives they're your healers they are the people that the townspeople go to when they're struggling but it's so amazing how quickly the tide turns against these women. Yeah. And it really frustrates me because always there is a period of time in these stories where these women are respected. They are, you know, they, they are seen as being like secret keepers of the town even. And yeah. then, you know, they, they bring life to the town and then all of a sudden something changes and it's like, oh, actually, we kind of are suspicious of you now. Yeah. <laughs> and we might accuse you of witchcraft at some point. And maybe it was, maybe for her, sitting on that that front porch, rocking back and forth, singing songs, was her way of being like, this pathway that you're going down, you know, you're cutting down the trees, you're destroying nature, you're not being very nice to me anymore. When I go, what are you going to yeah. do then? Who's going to birth your babies? Who's going to, you know... Who's going to heal your ailments because nobody else is going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, I never thought of it quite in that aspect there. You know, I've always thought of it in the, you guys are destroying what we love, but the part of when I'm gone. Yeah. What are you even going to do to stay alive out here? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's a good, that's a very good take. I mean, she's, it's fascinating. You know, voodoo is so, so prominent. There's so many stories about voodoo down there, you know, and most people, you know, have heard of like Marie Laveau. Yeah. down in new orleans right she's the big classic and and of course anytime you tell a story of voodoo i've, I've heard it about julie they're always cousins with marie laveau you know <laughs> of course always cousins somehow but uh it's same thing like you're saying that was marie laveau was a a prominent business owner in that city mm. that did well you know it's a it's it doesn't matter what culture you're from those women are are there for sure exactly like you're saying yeah yeah and they often just end up being maligned like interestingly growing up in Ireland there you know we grew up with healers and kind of medicine people I suppose that uh -huh. operated still in this kind of half pagan half catholic like weird mix of things and it's really interesting that we we grew up in it and it was sort of accepted and we actually didn't really have witch trials in mm -hmm. Ireland it just didn't really happen because there was this acceptance that there were just really? some people who knew things yeah, really? there was there was a woman named Alice Kittler in um she lived in a place called Kilkenny in Ireland and like that she was a really prominent bus prominent businesswoman was very wealthy owned a lot of land and she was accused of witchcraft and she actually she just fought against it she she went up against the church and she was like no I'm going to fight this I'm I'm absolutely not a witch and she wasn't convicted in the end because they were like oh okay <laughs> yeah. you're actually quite powerful and this is a lot 
Oh, <laughs> uh, that's funny. Well, uh, so a friend of mine, he uh, he's he 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 came here from Ireland, and and he uh, Colm Keenan, of course, right? Like, isn't everybody named that right? And yeah. Uh, or yeah, I can't even pronounce it. I can spell it now from seeing it on my phone. But he told me when he heard what I did for a living, he said, "You know, there's not a rock in Ireland that doesn't have a ghost story attached to it." It's true. <laughs> We're just spooky people. Yeah, <laughs> it's the it's the spooky Catholics. That's what it is. That's what it is. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna diverge away from yeah ghost stories for a second. What is your favorite part about being a podcaster? There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. About a podcaster. You know, honestly, you know, at first it was being able to pursue things I was interested in and take hold of my interest and in, in turning that into like a source of, of living, right. A source of being able to really, I, I found the weirder I got, the more money I made. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the same in most I mean, avenues? <laughs> I mean, you know, it just, it did, it really did. So, I mean, there was, there was that, but you know, lately the last year I've, I've really been really intentional. You know, I've been doing this almost six years now. And I, I realized that like, I was, I was holding up too much. I started after, you know, after all the COVID and everything, we started going back out to convention or started going back outside. I did a couple of like conventions and met a couple other podcasters. And the last like year I, I decided, you know what? I don't know anybody. I'm sitting alone telling ghost stories in my room. I'm just going to start like trying to reach out to everyone we know or everyone that's in the same field and get to know y'all and get to know everybody. And the last like six months, I feel like I have learned it, it was like, in doing this and hanging out with guys like the ghost story guys and Brennan and, you know, and, 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 you know, kind of just interacting more with people from different places who tell ghost stories from different places. It has been, uh, it has been like a cherry on top of all the other research and everything else, you know, getting to hear more about that. Um, so right now, I mean, it evolves, it changes, but right now I think it's, uh, it's almost this kind of community because yeah, music was cutthroat music was dogs on meat for you know and and podcasting has not been that it has been a sharing a wonderful sharing and exchange of knowledge with people yeah i agree i find that in the paranormal podcast community everybody's really supportive and i you'd you'd think mm -hmm. that like with the music industry there would be more of a competitive edge but i really don't feel like there is a, a kind of negative competitiveness yeah. at all and everybody's just willing to help each other out it's lovely yeah, I mean, absolutely, yeah. So, conversely to that, what is your least favorite bit about being a podcaster? 
having to do this for a living. <laughs> or, or having a yeah having a well you know it's it's like the 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 best part is also the worst part right you know i mean sometimes i just want a week away from ghosts yeah <laughs> you know sometimes i don't want to um yeah but uh you know i think and i'm joking about that obviously you know you do what you, you know you do what you love and that's why we're doing this but you know i mean there's just times i I just don't want to go sit and record an episode and just, you know, and it was, and it was just like, man, if this was just like a nine to five and I could mail it in today or something, you know, that, that would have been nice or, you know, or having to kind of maybe on the weekend or something. Um, you know, I was thinking I'm going, uh, we're taking a vacation, um, in a couple of weeks here, but like the vacations kind of turned into, well, while I'm there, I got to go, of course, we're, well, you know, it turns into like a, a mix of, you know, we're going to end up on two ghost tours, you know, and it's kind of like a beachy vacation. So like, <laughs> why are we doing that too? But like, you know, I'm there, I've got to. So uh, there's, there's, it's, it's like I said, the thing that I love and am so passionate about, but at the same time, you know, sometimes it sucks the fun out of the other stuff having, uh, yeah. you know. So it's look, that's, that's a Cadillac problem, right? Like that's a, that's a problem. Like, Oh, here I am complaining about something that, you know, maybe 10 years ago we would have looked at and been like, really dude. You yeah. Know? It always, it always shocks me when I think that I do this for a living. Do you know what I mean? Every, every so often I'm like, Oh, what? I do this for a living. This is mad. Yeah. But I totally get it. Cause there's times when you're like, I don't want to be, scouting out ghost stories all the time i don't want to be permanently looking for you know places to go when i'm away and ghost tours and stories i yeah. just i just want to turn off from ghost stories for five minutes please i totally get it it's like with anything once it becomes your living it starts yeah. to become more difficult i think yeah and and you know and as it being like a living it's you know the podcast is even really you know, or, you know, I'm not sure with, with yours, but is, is just an element of all of the ghost things to earn the income too, you mm. know, so I also do some tours and I'll do some live shows. And so it's like, you're, it's not even just the part of where you're sitting down in front of the microphone. It's all those other, like almost small businessy parts of like trying yeah. to, that for me that, you know, like, okay, well, how many different ways and different mediums can I tell the Julia Brown story to earn a dollar? <laughs> thank you for the living julia by the way if you were listening yeah if you're listening julia we you know. appreciate you yeah <laughs> yeah it does it, it does get to a point where you're like oh, okay suddenly the bones of the podcast just isn't enough it's like we were talking about before we started recording suddenly everybody's posting clips of their podcast on tiktok and you're like mm -hmm. oh i have to always keep up with these things yeah why, yeah why, I know. why is this only one part of everything else i i just can't keep up this poor yeah i know i know i was you know i was like a tech guy when i started and here i am 40 and like i don't want tiktok oh man i'm instagram is too much for me you know <laughs> you know yeah yeah you know for you know i i do say you know with podcasts it's interesting because you know our fan base and everybody listens to podcasts i you know i think that the social media stuff I, I think you can kind of grow without it, but I, I'm, I know I'm not going to beat some of these younger guys who just yeah. have these amazing, like I'm never going to be able to compete with some of these people on TikTok that are just churning out ghost stories. Yeah. And like, 
and really well produced content. Yeah, and they're like really Incredible. good at talking and stuff, and like yeah, yeah. I mean, and then and prettier. <laughs> <laughs> this is why it we is, podcast. <laughs> it is also yeah. When when you post videos on podcasts, you really do open yourself up to a whole other form of criticism. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just uh, get you know on the podcast, I just get people going. You know, you pronounce things incorrectly. Like I'm very acutely aware that I say New Orleans, and actually, uh-huh. that's not how you say it. I would have thought you'd there. get away with it more. You see, no. I thought, I thought, you know, like since we, I, th- but this is one of the uh, what what drew me to podcasts, really, or one of the things that drew me to podcasts is is how regional they can be too. Yeah, you know, so you could have all these in all these different kind of places where you get like an actual taste of that culture a little more and. Um, so I would think you'd get, but then I, I mean, I don't get away with it. I don't sound Southern enough, of course, to have Southern in my name because I'm from new Orleans. So I've got like a more city accent, port town accent, but oh man, if you, those pronunciation things, man. Yeah. They really rub people up the wrong way. I Mm -hmm. think. (laughs) So do you have a favorite, this is another random question, a favorite cryptid story or Mm -hmm a cryptid that you desperately want to be proven to be real. Okay. This is, I'm going to, I'll tell you a cryptid story. I'll tell you a good Southern cryptid story here in a minute, but I I'll just go ahead and own up to it because I love every opportunity. Again, as a middle-aged father of two daughters, I love Bigfoot and talk about Bigfoot to my kids all the time. And it annoys the living hell out of them. You know, I think it's like, because I mean, obviously we're weird. So, you know, and, when I'm tired of ghost stuff, I like to watch the cheesy Bigfoot shows on like the oh, travel channel. I love stuff. them. I love them. I love them going through the yeah. forest, knocking on trees, yes! doing their Bigfoot calls, fucking <laughs> to my veins. Yeah. You know, and I don't research Bigfoot. I don't read books on Bigfoot. It's just straight up. I, I went to the Bigfoot Museum out in, uh, out in Oregon recently. I mean, like, it's just the, like the fun. It's like the. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I can't tell you about encounters or historic whatever, like Patterson-Gimlin films, the, as deep as I go in terms of really knowledge, but I love Bigfoot. Yeah. But, um, you know, and that, and that just annoys the living hell out of my children. But uh, the, uh, the, the story, the cryptid story though, the one that I love, there's one in Kentucky that is like my favorite kind of Southern cryptid. And it's this guy called the Popelick monster. Have you heard of him before? Have heard. You heard but of him? not done any research on. All right. So the public monster, he's, it, it, it's almost even, this is almost even a little sad too, because there, there are some, you know, some elements to it, but so out in Kentucky, out in Louisville, Kentucky. Okay. There's there, it was a railroad town. So there's just, you know, all these big main arteries of railroads going through Louisville. And they say back at one point in town, back in the early 20th century, no specific date or anything. Of course, a carnival was coming through town. Okay. And it just so happened that this carnival had this carny there that was, it was, it was a young boy that was half man, half goat. Okay. And nobody knows how this, this half, this creature was created or anything, but you know, uh, apparently a mother had the child, didn't know what to do with it because it had hooves and horns and she decided to leave it. 
at this carnival because they would know what to do with it, you know. And you can imagine some of the uh, the speculation as to why it was created. With you know, what did she do with a you know, was it worshiping the devil or did she, you know, have a goat friend, right? Um, so anyway, so this this railroad is plowing through Louisville, and of course, it's a dark and stormy night. And all of a sudden, as it's crossing the Poplet Creek on its way into town, lightning strikes the train trestle, and of course, the train comes crashing down you know and everybody in it is killed except for you know except for this the pope like what would become the pope like monster and he made a home there under that train trestle and he continues to live there today and so the urban legend is is that you know you can go out there and you can you can you can go out there and you can look for the pope like monster out there but he's a uh, he's extra fiendish because he he can use voice mimicry to to lure you in right like he sounds like grandma or something calling you on and he'll lure you onto the train tracks and then a train will you know come plowing through and you have no way to get off and, and you'll get killed right and so this has been the legend for years there was there was a movie in the 80s that even covered it but as i said the sad part is there are some real world ramifications to this because there have been some deaths at this train for folks coming to no. look for the Pope-like monster. So every so often, maybe, I don't know, every five to 10 years, you'll end up seeing something in the newspaper. And um, I actually visited it back in December. I didn't go on the tracks, obviously. It's it's very, I mean, they make it very clear. And this is a tall train trestle. I mean, it's up there. So you really have to be going after it. And there's a lot of fences and stuff to stop you from doing it. Um, but you know, when it, when I went in December, there was at the bottom of it, there was a small memorial with a lot of like flowers and stuff. Some teenagers about, oh. I want to say about four or five years ago, some teenagers went up on this track and they're up there and they're looking for the public monster. And this is a very busy train artery. I mean, and train came and I, I don't know the specific instance of that, but this track is, I mean, it's small enough for the train to go over and it's, it's long enough. The bridge is long enough. You're not outrunning that train. So yeah. I don't know if it was jumping off or getting hit by the train or something, but yeah. So, uh, you know, so a lot of times we'll refer to that particular monster of whether he's real or not, he has absolutely been lethal because of that. That's so, the interesting thing, isn't it? Because yeah. actually those people died in pursuit of the public yeah. monster so in that in that case he has taken lives absolutely absolutely yeah so it's a yeah it's an interesting one but it's you know a lot of the, a lot of those are the classic goat man you know you really get digging it's it's a classic goat man under the bridge story yeah. i love those kinds of stories i love a cryptid story that is absolutely ridiculous and like like you i get that kind of Every so often I just get, I'm like, I can't do another ghost story. I just can't do it. Uh -huh. I can't do another haunted house story. So I'll dig in and try and find a cryptid story. And they always just bring me so much joy. <laughs> like every time. I just love them every time. Yeah. Well, you know, we grew up with the Rougarou down in New Orleans. So we had the, have you ever heard of the Rougarou? No? No, I don't, okay. I don't think I have. Or they call it the Rougarou. Some have called the Loop Guru. So it's, it's what it is. It's like a Cajun werewolf. Yes. Right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's basically, oh, and it's very Catholic too, because if I recall correctly, it has something to do with breaking the rules of Lent, makes you more susceptible to the, uh, of to course. The yeah. But it's, you know, really at the end of the day, all it is, is it's a werewolf in the swamp with a different name, 
but they what it what's interesting about it and and all the things with it is that you know these cajun people they moved out to the swamp of louisiana back in uh, you know it was mid mid 18th century right because they got kicked out of canada these were these were people of french ancestry who were living in canada um you know in new france and canada then of course you know they lose that land to the british and they get kicked out of canada so they decide to come down to the swamp and this this werewolf rougarou is really this this kind of like this next level like a legend that came from france's labette if you've ever heard of the story of the werewolf out there where yeah. it's kind of evolved from a classic french tale into like this swamp monster you know but but living in new orleans every kid in new orleans has heard of the rougarou i mean every child they have at the zoo down there as a kid at the zoo they've got this like this mock-up stand-up of this like swamp werewolf so like you know kids and kids always know where it's gonna be so you can either like shield your head you know or <laughs> you know like yeah so uh the rougarou was our big cryptid in new orleans yeah oh i love it do you have another new orleans ghost story that you can sure. share before we finish up this episode yeah, well, you know, I mean, there's so many. Like I said, you know, if you go down to the French Quarter, you know, you can kind of look both ways. Like, there's this, there's one block even that you can stand in the. If you stood in the middle of the intersection of the street, you know, you can look one way and you can see uh, the Ursuline Convent, where supposedly like the North America's first vampires came, you know, to and lived in the convent. You know, you look, the, you look a block the next way, and it's Madame Lalori that that infamous you know torturous slave owner you look the next block and it's like uh, i mean this is all within a block radius on each end um and then on the corner of that there is is um a gentleman by the name of jacques saint germain who was a vampire too so you know new orleans is chock full but um i'll tell you somewhat of a good one is is they say that that, that big beautiful cathedral we have down there saint louis cathedral uh there's a gentleman uh, an old an old priest that they say you can hear singing kind of late in the evening just kind of singing as you walk around the cathedral in the french quarter and just singing these old spooky catholic tunes i'm sure right his, his name's pere de gobert and um this one's a sweeter story because if you go behind the church there's ni a nice little courtyard and that's typically where you'll hear this this gentleman singing and you know and they say that he's still down there singing because he was a very beloved priest uh, back when he was alive and um, you know New Orleans was originally French all the way up until the 1760s when uh, the Spanish gained control of the city right after I believe it was after the seven years war uh, Spanish took control of the city but since the city was so French and there was so much you know so much money in it and everything the city new orleans the folks in new orleans like well we don't care we're not going to listen to them right like come you know come over and, and stop us right and so they sent a spanish governor over to take over the city back then and of course some of the men there that had money had property and everything they rebelled against the spanish government and they ended up sending the spanish governor all the way back home you know sent him home we're going to take care of ourselves here well you know the king of spain didn't like this so he sent a gentleman over to uh stop this rebellion and it was a gentleman by the name of well his name was uh, and, uh oh, excuse me anthony o'reilly i believe o'reilly was his last name so they sent three boats over with a bunch of military men and they're going to regain control of, or gain control of new orleans for the first time and he went out and he found the gentleman 
who who organized this rebellion and he killed them There's six men he slaughtered them brought them out to the middle of what's now jackson square out there in front of the cathedral uh, he he earned the nickname in the process of bloody o'reilly because of how he put down this rebellion and he left these poor men's bodies there out in the open out in the weather just to rot in that new orleans humidity and refused them a the proper funeral service refused to have anything uh, whatsoever they were going to sit there as examples of this is what happens if you don't listen to the spanish government right so they sat there rotting in it and all the families of course are torn apart well i said that one night in the middle of the night a few days later um one of the families heard a little knock on their door right and of course they open the door in the middle of the night and it's kind of like a, a rainy night and who's there? It's Pere de Gobert, their beloved priest. And he just kind of quietly, you know, just kind of puts his finger up, you know, shh, follow me, kind of, you know, asks him to follow him. And he, and, he, and he brings him down and he goes and he brings him back to the cathedral and they walk inside the cathedral and they find, and they find that there's the bodies in the cathedral that have been left out there. And somehow Pere de Gobert has gotten away with getting the bodies in. So he's able to bring all these families and he kind of sneaks around town and gathers them all in the cathedral in the middle of the night. And he, of course, does this beautiful funeral service for the families and, and these men, these French men that were rebellion. And then he goes and that night all the families carry them off and they bury the they bury them properly as they should be buried, right? And in hidden graves, of course, because they don't want Bloody O'Reilly to mess to mess with them. So, uh, you know, Père de Gobert, to this day, folks say that you can still hear Père de Gobert kind of meandering those streets, singing the songs that night, and just this this wonderful, sweet man in in New Orleans folklore. So, I mean, that's a, like such a beautiful story, and like death ritual is so important to people yeah so it's a lovely story uh but in saying that if i'm lying in bed and i hear the sound of an an old priest singing you know <laughs> latin hymns let me tell you i am i am burying myself in a wardrobe somewhere i am, I am is that because the ghosts or the catholic that. school trauma which one is Maybe it <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 maybe both. Uh, yeah, it might bring back memories. Yeah, <laughs> just to you know, just to well, you know, I mean, here's you know, we have there's supposedly there's six priests that are buried in the cathedral there, and almost all of them are ghosts in some way, shape, or form. So <laughs> we have a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, they just could never leave. You know, just loved it so much they couldn't leave. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Brandon, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Before I let you go, yeah. um, tell us what you've got to plug. Where can we find you? Oh, gosh, I just got stories to plug, y'all. Southern <laughs> Gothic, the podcast. Uh, you know, you can get it on all the apps that you can listen to this one. You know, you can get us over on Apple, Spotify, all those. It's Southern Gothic. And we do have a YouTube. Or if you would like to hit up our website, it is southerngothicmedia.com. But we'd love to have you all check it out. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. 
Rory and Kid here from the award-winning podcast, This Paranormal Life. Every week we investigate a paranormal story and decide if it's real or a hoax. Like the time a guy claimed he punched Bigfoot. Or when a UFO showed up at a football game in front of thousands of people. Each episode has sound effects, music, and storytelling that feels so real, you'll never sleep again. You will. Stop it. You're going to scare away new listeners. Check out This Paranormal Life every Tuesday, wherever you listen to your podcasts.